You know, I've been thinking about just this past year, and it's been a year quite like un any other year. It's just um, I've never experienced some of the things that we've gone through. And uh, But can I tell you, though, that God has been with us, and God will continue to be with us. And, and in spite of all the nonsense that has gone on out there in, in, in the world and just with all of the pandemic and everything, uh, God is always going to make a way for you and I. I've been thinking about how, you know, in this time of uh, COVID, uh, I've had the opportunity to be with uh, my children a few days out of the week. And there's been a lot of opportunities for you and I that we've been able to spend some time with our family members. Uh, you know, where you're right now in your home, you're having church. You got your family there with you. You've maybe invited some uh, friends or some relatives, and, and you're having church right there in your home. And what an awesome blessing that the presence of God would fall right there where you're at right now. And I tell you what, uh, we just need to continue to seek and contend in prayer and in fasting and just try to find the mind of Christ for whatever it is that you and I might find and might face. I'm going to be talking tonight about a, having a harmonious mindset, a harmonious mindset. Uh, it's part of the Divine Urgings series that we had started last month, and we kind of want to jump back into that flow, and, and having a harmonious mindset. Well, what does that mean? What, is, what does harmony mean? Harmony means agreement or accord, having a harmonious relations or consistent, orderly pleasing arrangement of parts or congruity. In musical terms, harmony can be defined as the composite product when individual musical voices group together to form cohesive wholes. Simultaneous combination of tones, especially when blended into chords, pleasing to the ear or chordal structure as distinguished from melody and rhythm. Now, to be quite honest, uh, I'm not a musician. I just know what sounds good and what's pleasing to, to the ear. If you think about an orchestra, you have the flute player and he plays a, uh, a note and a violinist will play a different note. And the trombonist, uh, he plays a, a note all different. But when these individual parts are heard together, harmony is created. Now, we don't have a, our worship team uh, this evening, but uh, if you were here Sunday, we had a little bit of a reduced worship team and I tell you what though you could hear the harmonies in the singers you each one of them was has a different tone uh, Luan's voice is different than Danielle's voice Andrea's voice is different than uh, uh, Corina's voice but all together they blended and they had this harmony and the reason why is because they were all singing together they were singing the same thing and they were in one mind and in one accord Someone said, uh, you don't get harmony when everyone sings the same note. See, it's our differences and our distinctions and our uniqueness and our individuality that makes the Church of God such a beautiful family. Many of us, we come from different backgrounds. We might have grown up differently. Uh, we might have been having different upbringings. Our stories might be different. Uh, but each and every one of us, we come in here with our uniqueness and our differences, but that's what makes the house of God such a beautiful place is that when we can all come together in one mind and in one accord, lift up our hands uh, and worship our same God, uh, love our Lord, and, and just sing praises unto his name. Uh, and what happens in spite of all of our uniqueness and differences, uh, 
we're in one mind and in one accord. We're like-minded and we're amongst uh, like-minded individuals, uh, individuals that have a love for God and have a love for Christ and want to serve him and just uh, allow the will of God to be fulfilled in their lives. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lords and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can jump down to verse 10 and thir through 13, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you perfectly be united in mind and thought. The Apostle Paul here, he's speaking to the Corinthian church and he's recognizing that there's a division going on, that he's recognizing that these individuals uh, had began to take their eyes off of Jesus. They began to take their eyes off of Christ. And what happened was because they took their eyes off of Christ, uh, there was disagreements going on and taking place. And how many of you know that uh, when your eyes aren't focused on Jesus, when you, when you remove your focus uh, from what Christ is doing in your life and you, you will begin to look at other things, you begin to look at what's going on in this world and be troubled, and you begin to look at maybe a, your career or maybe education. You begin to say, well, maybe I'm going to find fulfillment in this. And, or you begin to look at what other people are doing and begin to uh, say, oh, you know what, uh, man, you know, I, I should be doing what they're doing. And, and what happens is, is you begin to take your eyes off of Christ and you put them on things that will eventually separate you from the things of God. And the Apostle Paul, he recognizes what's taking place there in the Corinthian church, and he wisely points them back to Christ and what he did on the cross. He begins to say, listen, uh, we need to realign our focus and put our attention once again on, on Jesus and what Jesus has done for you and I and, and what the work that he did on the cross. And it was Jesus and it was his sacrifice for you and I. And he begins to say, listen, we, we were going astray. Let's put our eyes back on the Lord. And he begins to talk about the cross. He begins to preach the message of Christ crucified. Understand that the cross for Jesus was the will of God. And sometimes the will of God can be painful. Sometimes the will of God can be, can hurt. But I tell you, church, if we just submit to the will of God and allow the Spirit of God to have his way, there's blessings. There's blessings that take place. There's a, a move of God that takes place if you just trust the plan of God for your life. Uh, he brings that emphasis on the cross. And a few things about the cross. Uh, number one is that the cross is an instrument of death. Each and every one of us, we have a cross to bear. Each and every one of us uh, will come to our times in our walk with God where there's just certain things that just have to be put on that cross. There's just certain things that have to die. Uh, maybe it's a habit or maybe it's um, a 
mindset that you might have of negativity or maybe it's even a relationship that is taking you outside of the will of God. And, and God is saying there's, there's certain things that uh, you and I are going to have to die to and we're going to have to allow to just uh, be put on that cross. How many know that um, even though that cross was an instrument of death, the result was the life that you and I have in Jesus' name. Even though Jesus had to die on that cross, uh, it was because of that death and resurrection that you and I can have life, and we can have that abundant life, the Bible says. Another thing about the cross is that it brings us to a place of decision. Think about the disciples, and they had uh, been with Jesus about three and a half years, and they had uh, seen the miracles he performed. They were witness to the healings. They seen him cast demons out. They were just uh, able to sit at, the, at his feet and listen to his words of, that he spoke with authority. And they had no doubt that he was the anointed one, the son of God. They believed that he had the ability to bring healing and deliverance into their lives. And so they devoted their lives to serving Jesus. And all of a sudden now, here he is on the cross between two criminals. And the thoughts that might have gone through the disciples' mind is that uh, this isn't what I expected. This isn't how I thought things were going to turn out. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, I didn't, even though Jesus had spoken and prophesied his death, uh, here were the disciples, and they were brought to a place of decision. They were either going to trust the plan of God for their lives, or they were going to run and run away and just abandon ship. And you and I, each and every one of us, uh, we got a decision to make. Are we going to stay steadfast, trusting the will of God for our lives, trusting that God is moving on our behalf, or are we just going to run back to the world and run back to the hopelessness and the mess and the garbage that's in the world? The cross always will bring us to a place of decision. The cross, the Bible says, is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those that are perishing, but to us being saved, it's the power of God. I thank God for the cross of Calvary because it was the cross of Calvary that brought deliverance in my life. It brought healing in my life. It, it, it made me a new person. I saw the sacrifice that Jesus made, and, and because of that power, it's defeated death. It defeated sin. And what are you going to? What are you going through tonight that Christ can't overcome? He overcame death. He overcame sin, sickness, and disease. Uh, what issue, what trial are you in tonight that Jesus can't overcome, that Jesus can't make a way? The cross, it unites us. The cross of Jesus Christ unites us. You know that we are united in our sufferings? Each and every one of us, we're going to experience things in our lives. We're going to experience hurt. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience trial. But we're able to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I tell you, this past few weeks, they've been difficult. They've been a trial. But I thank God for like-minded individuals, like-minded brothers and sisters that would reach out and Give me a call and say, Brother Manny, how you doing? How you holding up? Uh, continue to go forward. And I know these individuals are going through trial themselves. I, I know that they're hurting as well. And, and yet they're taking that time out to say, I'm united with you. I'm with you. We're going to get through this together. And that's the beauty of the cross is that it unites us. Uh, we can, uh, even though we go through it, we can encourage one another. 
We might not be all in the same boat, but we're definitely in the same storm. And, and we can just say, stay steadfast. God's got you. He's your rock. He's your anchor. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Thank God for the like-minded individuals that reached out to one another, said, we're going to get through this. See, it's important to have a harmonious mindset. Book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Iodia and I implore Sentitia to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here we see these two women, Iodia and Sentitia. And believe it or not, I didn't know how to pronounce that word, and I looked it up, and I, there must have been like five or six different pronunciations of Sentitia, and I liked that one. I told my wife, if we ever have another daughter, that's going to be her name, Sentitia. She knew I was, that's not going to happen. But here are these two women. They are leaders in the church. They've been right alongside the Apostle Paul, building the church there. They were uh, street preachers, I would imagine. They were helping the people come into the house of God, and they were spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. They were laboring alongside the Apostle Paul, and all of a sudden, they have a disagreement. And all of a sudden, they have a, their differences arise, and the Bible doesn't talk about what their differences or the disagreement was because it wasn't important. But what was important is that their disagreement was made public. It was, rather than uh, it being between the two of them, uh, it was starting to cause a split and a division. It had the potential to hinder the work of Christ. And Paul tells uh, Timothy there, and he says, uh, help these two women to work it out. Help them to settle their differences because it's hindering the work of Christ. Uh, it's hindering what God is doing. And, and you know, there's times but we're going to have differences. You might have a difference uh, of opinion with your spouse. That happens. You might have a difference of opinion with your children. Uh, you might even have a difference of opinion uh, with uh, those you work with or even co-labor with. Those things do happen. But it's being able to work past those differences. It's being able to maintain that relationship that you have with them. It's understanding that these differences will pass, uh, but we need to work together in harmony and let's be one mind and one accord. Let's have that same mindset. Uh, our ultimate goal is that we want to see souls get saved. Book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 15. says, if a brother sins against you, Go to him privately and confront him with his fault. If he listens and confesses, you have won back a brother. Some translations say offend. You ever been offended? Ever have someone say or do something to you that uh, you're like, hmm, that was pretty offensive, man. It seems like uh, in this day and age with the politically correct culture, Everyone is offended for something. You tell them uh, good morning and they're offended. Uh, who are you to tell me to have a good morning? 
It seems like uh, offense comes easy sometimes, and oftentimes when we become offended, our first reaction is to tell somebody how we've been offended. You know, went to say hello to so-and-so, and they totally ignored me. I was offended. I couldn't believe this individual, how rude and how arrogant uh, of this person that uh, all I wanted to say was hello, and they ignored me. And, and you know what happens is uh, as uh, you begin to tell someone how you were offended and you begin to tell somebody about how this person upset you or offended you or hurt you, what you're doing is you're sowing these seeds of judgment and accusation uh, into that person that you're talking to. And this person, they see this individual now, and rather than them being personable and rather than them being hospitable, they say, oh, this person is rude because they were rude to my friend who was telling me about it, and, and now you become rude, and you never know what that individual might be going through. Individual might be preoccupied. There might be some issues at home that they're wrestling with. Uh, it might be that, uh, you know, they might have uh, had just a, a terrible day and they were trying to get in and they're focused and they didn't hear the hello. They didn't hear the greeting. And, and yet because, uh, because of this uh, uh, bad report that was being given about the individual, there's a judgment brought on upon that person. Bible says we need to privately pull the individual aside to win them back. Hey brother, uh, the other day this was said or this was done, and uh, can I talk to you for a moment? Uh, what did you mean by that? Uh, I don't want the devil to lie to me, and I don't want the devil to lie to you, and, and, and can we work this out? Uh, is everything okay? Did I do something that, that might have offended you? Uh, are you all right? Uh, what are you doing? Uh, you're winning your brother back. Uh, you're letting him know, like, hey, whatever was done to me is not as important as our friendship and our relationship. And quite often we'll find uh, that the individual didn't even realize they brought an offense. Matthew 5, 9, what does it say? Blessed are the revenge makers? No, it doesn't. It said blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers are the ones that will be called the sons and daughters of God. We need to watch that we don't get caught up in the ugliness and the divisiveness of this world right now and understand that it's the relationships that we have with one another that makes up uh, this uh, thing called uh, a walk with God. It's, we just, it's not just us by ourselves, but we need one another. We encourage one another. We build one another. I get excited when I see certain people come into the house of God. It's like, man, I know they're going through it, but they're still going through it. And them just getting through those doors uh, encourages me and it encourages my family to see them. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. We got to be careful that when we are offended, we don't develop a self-righteous spirit. A self-righteous spirit is a spirit that's blinding, prideful spirit, and will oftentimes it'll accuse others that we ourselves might be guilty of. A self-righteous spirit will see the sins and faults in others, and rather than lift up that person in prayer, it'll point a finger of a judgment on them, a finger of accusation. And I tell you what, uh, man, we need to make sure we don't revel in that. Uh, 
when we see our brother or our sister going through it, uh, we need to get down and begin to pray for them and begin to intercede and begin to say, God, I don't know what it is that they're going through, but God, I'm praying for them and I'm praying that they get past this, God. Keep them in your grace. We need to be lifting them up, not putting them down. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Hope you're still with me and haven't changed the channel, amen. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Verse 3, and it says, and why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. There's times where you might see an individual struggling. You might see an individual trying to press on through, and the Bible is saying that, uh, before you begin to just harp on them and berate them and tell them what's your problem and there's some self-examination that needs to take place. But you have to have a heart like Christ would have for you and I to be able to minister to that individual and say, you know, uh, I just see you might be struggling. Can we talk? Can we work this out uh, what are you doing? You're bringing them into a harmony with you. Let's get on the same page. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. I like what this one commentator said. He says, confrontation and criticism are not forbidden in the church, but they must be undergirded with humility and purity. We need to humbly submit to the Lord, shining the light of his word into the dark corners of our own hearts instead of arrogantly pointing it pointing it in someone else's face. It's only when we've dealt faithfully, faithfully and biblically with our own sin that we can help a brother see his own. Even in the midst of confrontation, we need to maintain a spirit of humility. John MacArthur said this, all confrontation of sin in others must be done out of meekness, not pride. We cannot play the role of judge passing sentence as if we were God. We cannot play the role of superior as if we are exempt from the same standards we demand of others. And we must not play the hypocrite blaming others while we excuse ourselves. We need a partner with the Holy Spirit uh, when it comes to these issues of our faith, when it comes to issues that we might see in individuals. It's saying that there better be a spirit of humility there, man. You better have that gentleness that Christ has. I, I always think about how Jesus deals with me, and I thank God uh, that when I'm going through struggle or when I'm wrestling, uh, there's always just the spirit of God there to, yes, convict, uh, but also to comfort. Uh, and the spirit of God, uh, yes, will deal with me on issues, uh, but there's that grace and that mercy that God has over our lives that we too need to have over our brothers and sisters. 
book of James 4.11, it says, do not speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. Why? Because speaking evil destroys harmony. And I know this could be difficult because none of us want to believe that we can be guilty of speaking evil. But thank God for the word of God that it's a mirror and it tells us and it shows us, hey, the way you spoke to your wife, man, that wasn't cool. The way you spoke to your husband, and rather than, uh, you know, uh, lifting him up, you're belittling him. And, and the spirit of God is saying, yeah, that's, that's not right. The word of God gives us that ability to look into it and realize that we too might be guilty of these things. And it gives us a, that repentance that we're able to say, Lord, forgive me. Change my speak, change my attitude towards uh, my husband or my wife or towards my children. Book of Revelations, chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It says, and then war broke out in heaven. Then war broke out in heaven. When I read that, I was thinking there was a war in heaven. There was a war in the presence of God. There was a war there in heaven. And sometimes church feels like a war is broken out in our lives. It feels like, uh, man, what's taking place? Uh, what's going on? I, I, man, this isn't uh, what I anticipated. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, and the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads uh, the whole world astray, he was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come to salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Satan, he's called the accuser. He's the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. He's the accuser of one another. That word accuser, what it means is prosecutor or one who speaks in a derogatory way of another or slanderer. Named the devil or Diablos, it means slander, backbiter, accusing falsely. And there's this picture here. If you see it, it happened to Job, and, and it happens to you and I, where you see the enemy, and he's standing before God, and he's bringing these accusations against you and I. And he's saying, you see how sinful they are? You, you see how messed up they are? You see how inconsistent they are? You see how all of their faults? And, and he begins to show, he begins to accuse God and begins to tell God these accusations about you and I. But I thank God that when he sees us, he doesn't see those things. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, over you and I. He sees the righteousness of Christ over you and I. He doesn't see our righteousness because our good works, uh, our obedience, uh, our righteous deeds, uh, man, they might be good, but in the eyes of God, they're filthy rags. What he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son, upon you and I. He sees the blood of Jesus over us, uh, and he loves his son. And he loves you and I, and we can't forget that because oftentimes the accuser will stand in our lives and accuse us. 
You call yourself a Christian and you think, uh, you know, God loves you. And we hear these accusations in our ears. And, and just like the devil was cast out of heaven, we need to cast him out of our lives and say, no, devil, I don't care what you say about me. God loves me. And there's nothing you can do about it. God loves me. And God loves you tonight. You got to cast that out. We also got to make sure that we cast out that spirit of accusation from our lives when we become judgmental, when we begin to accuse others, when we begin to look in, at others in judgment and, or have this self-righteous, uh, pious attitude that we're somehow better than them. We're all sinners, saved by the grace of God. There is no one perfect. The only one perfect uh, was Jesus Christ, and they put him on a cross. Book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 and 18. Almost there. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I tell you, that um, I really appreciate the opportunity that God has given me to minister. Whenever I'm able to stand behind this pulpit or any other pulpit or even on the street corner telling people about Jesus, I appreciate what God has done in my life. And I take uh, this seriously. I, I don't take it lightly. I reverence this holy ground. This pulpit, it's not to point a finger and condemn. It's not to pronounce judgment and accusation. This pulpit is to preach the love of Jesus Christ. This pulpit is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, that even though we're sinners, uh, Christ died for us, uh, and he forgave us, uh, and he can redeem us, uh, and that if we receive him, uh, our names could be written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, this pulpit is meant to bring life uh, it's meant to speak the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is not dead, that even though everything going on around us might be troubling, God is still in control. That is what needs to be ministered behind this pulpit. And I appreciate the opportunity that God has given me. When I came in, I just wanted to get saved, man. I just wanted to start, stop smoking weed and being drunk and, I never could imagined the privileges that God has given me in his kingdom. The heartbeat of God is and was and always will be people. It's the love of God that we need to express to one another. It's, whether it's within these walls or outside of the, these walls, it's, it's God's love for humanity. It's God's love for his children. It's God's love for a dying world. It's because love, what it'll do is it'll strengthen a harmonious mindset. It, love unites us. 
book of Philippians chapter two, verses two through four. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing done be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others higher than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interest of others. Love is the giving of yourself. God so loved the world, he gave his son. Jesus so loved you and I that he, nobody took his life. The Bible says he willingly laid it down. Love is going to be sacrificial. Love might hurt sometimes, but love is always going to give. Right now, we live in a world that's hurting. The pandemic, the riots, racial tensions, the divisiveness of this age. Uh, people are looking for love. People are looking for an answer to, to what's going on. Uh, they're, they're looking for a hope. And I tell you, if we stay focused on ourselves, if we just stay focused on, on what's been going on in our lives, if we just stay focused with our trials and, 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 and what we're fighting through, then what's going to happen is we're going to miss the God-given opportunities to share Jesus Christ uh, to a dying world. Now more than ever, as the believers in the body of Christ, we need to press in and let our neighbors and our family members and our loved ones know that Jesus is the answer. What did Jesus say? Book of John 12, 13, he says, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples unto myself. You don't have to have the answer to everyone's problem. You just got to be faithful to lift up the name of Jesus in their lives and say, look, whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever it is you find yourself going through, give Jesus a chance. He can work a miracle if you let him. Our love for Christ is meant to be shared. You know, it says that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the lamb. What's your testimony tonight? What's your testimony? What has God done in your life? What has uh, God uh, brought to light in your life? What miracle has taken place in your life? When we were younger, my wife and I, we used to go to the juvenile hall camps and we would sing that song. You might remember it. Uh, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. And the kids would love that song because uh, I would point to them and I'd say, what did Jesus set you free from? And we'd sing, uh, I used to be a wino, but Jesus set me free. Or I used to be a drug addict, but Jesus set me free. And we would point to one of the kids and, and they would say, I used to be a gangbanger, but Jesus set me free. That was their testimony. You and I have a testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. That at our lowest, he brought us up. At our darkest, he brought in his marvelous light. That even when some of us might have been sick in body or even at our deathbed, he healed us. We have a testimony, and that testimony is meant to be shared. It's meant to be 
not kept inside, but be shared. And, and what happens when you begin to share that testimony? You begin to tell someone what Jesus has done in your life. You begin to share with them uh, that, that God had worked a miracle. You begin to share with them the power of Jesus Christ. And what happens is that something begins to stir in that individual. And they look and they say, if God could do that for him, if God could do that for her, if God could do that for you, he can do that for me. He can do a miracle in my life. blood of Jesus with our testimony, the word of our testimony, defeats the devil, defeats the accuser, defeats the enemy. I know a lot of us this year, we've suffered some kind of loss, whether it might have been the loss of a job or might have been the loss of a loved one. It might have been the loss of a relationship. We've We've gone through it. We've suffered a loss. It hurts. It grieves us. And I was thinking this the other day, and I was just kind of thinking it. And my wife verbalized it. That's how I knew it was God. We're sitting down, and she says, you know, God was showing me, stop focusing on what I lost. Stop focusing on what I no longer have and start focusing on what I do have. Start focusing on those relationships that are still in my life and start focusing on what God is doing in the lives of our family and our children and start focusing on, on what we still have. Revelations chapter three, verse two, Pastor Reggie, he sent me this uh, uh, last week and I've been just reading this, this scripture and it says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Church, uh, we need to strengthen one another. We need to look out for one another. We need to encourage one another and build one another up uh, and encourage one another in this faith, in this walk. As I conclude here, as I bring it down to a quick recap, is we need to be like-minded with the people of God. There's power in our unity. Don't get caught up in the negativity of this world. Uh, be part of the healing, not part of the hurt. Allow God to heal you so that you, in turn, can help others come to a place of healing. Love like Christ. Let that love motivate you to pray and to serve one another. I'm going to end with this scripture. Book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 and 16. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And in verse 16, this ties it all in. Live in harmony with one another. 